from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling and I am joined by my co-host, producer and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, Happy New Year! Yeah, Happy New Year to you as well and to everyone else out there who's listening to this right now. Yeah, Yeah, we are back. I know, (laughs) it feels... holiday break yeah it's not the uh longest hiatus that we've had off from any of the shows right now the the disneyland show is taking the record for that that was off the oh yeah i think the second or third (laughs) week of the second week of december and still won't return for another week and a half uh everything else is back in full swing though so (laughs) yeah it's it's been i thought you meant (laughs) I thought you meant last year's hiatus oh, for the Disneyland show. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> for record-breaking. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a hiatus, if, if I've ever seen one. <laughs> that, Besides the hiatus for the... Dispop, which is a permanent hiatus. <laughs> oh, is it? I just yeah. thought it was a long one. Yeah, so, it's uh, Rhino's giving up. He doesn't care anymore. Oh, that's us Well, Well, we, we get to enjoy him on other shows. Exactly. So... so. So so did you have a good holiday, Craig? Yeah, it was uh, really slam-packed, so just, you know, any time over Christmas, Christmas Eve, all that, it, things are going to be crazy. Uh, that that should have been just enough between Christmas and New Year's to keep me busy, but then, then my dad and I decided to do a very, very, very last-minute trip to... Uh, to southern california specifically for Mm -hmm. the tournament of roses as well as the the rose bowl so uh, of course ohio state was in it this year playing washington and we figured you know it's the last time ohio state was in the rose bowl was 2010 and it just that's that's our team that's where that's my dad's alma mater so uh, i've adopted that as well too probably if i would have grew up in ohio and lived there when i went to college there's a good chance i probably would have went there but out-of-state tuition is uh not not the greatest thing in the world especially uh especially you know when you you have other stuff that you want to do and spend money on so ultimately i didn't go there but still support them and so I got to to witness the Rose Bowl for for the first time ever as well. And but as great as that is, that's you know it's a football game in a beautiful stadium. But the Tournament of Roses, uh, the Rose Parade, is just one of those things everyone should try to see it at some point in their lifetime. I, I know it's just a, a parade with floats made of flowers and roses and uh, other plant life and horticulture, but it was just. It, it was unlike anything I've ever seen. It was so beautiful. I've but always wanted to see it in person. It's so, almost yeah. the entire time I was just thinking of you because I know how much you love your your gardening, and it's just mm-hmm. like especially we we saw the parade the the 
day it happened, New Year's New Year's morning, and then the very next day, um, we we needed something to do for a little bit of time before we had to head to the airport. So we headed back to Pasadena and bought a ticket, a $15 ticket to do a close up walk around all the floats where you could basically get right up to them and inspect them. And like, you know, you can see the details on TV as they go past in some of like the HGTV shows that they do like behind the scenes on them. But until you, you walk right beside them and see them, right up close like you don't see all of the details going in like there was these there's this one float with frogs this year where they were using like limes as the the boils on it there was one float that had like three Mm. different colors of asparagus and or not asparagus um cauliflower and because they're not allowed to dye anything everything has to come natural they they have to go out of their way to find the colors and and the types of textures with different plant life and and vegetables and everything just to make it all work like it was just beyond fascinating and i i don't know if i'll ever go to another rose bowl game but i know i will see another rose parade in in my life i have to and and from there i came back and went on a disney cruise for work that you guys will all hear about in the future mm-hmm. uh through videos Looking and stuff but that. It's it's been insane. But what's what's been happening with you, Michael? Well, you know, it was a typical, you know, sort of. Well, it was not a typical Christmas because you know Carol was you know still you know in, in under care you know in the nursing home. Yeah. So you know I basically took Christmas to her for three days in a row, and um, so that, that that so I the December twenty seventh I just sort of collapsed and just rested and then i um and then i did all the same thing new year's eve and we actually had friends come to her her room and we had our little party there and um so we had a good time and um, i saw a couple of movies i saw ralph breaks the internet and mary poppins returns so and i know oh, yeah. you saw mary poppins returns because i saw your twitter um comment <laughs> i don't what did i say about it on twitter i don't even remember now out of the films you listed, I got the impression this was um, this was the least one you enjoyed. No, it, okay, yeah, that was the one where it was right after I saw Green Book, I believe, that I posted that about mm-hmm. how um, be, between some of the bigger movies that were released, I inclu- can't remember the other one besides Mary Poppins that had a lot of hype going into it, but... I think I still haven't seen a lot from the holiday season just because with all the traveling and family in town and other stuff happening, I missed out on like every single Christmas release so far and into the next couple weeks. And I don't know when I'm going to find time to even catch up on anything. But uh, I, I, I've of what I saw, the Green Book and Instant Family all throughout the holiday season, those are the two that stuck with me the most. I. I enjoyed Ralph Breaks the Internet. It hasn't really stuck with me like I hoped it was going to. Mary Poppins, I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters the first time. I've actually listened to the soundtrack quite a bit, though. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, walking away from it, I didn't really connect with... I I maybe connected with, like, two songs, three songs, but uh, it didn't leave me, like, blown away. But now I find myself wanting to listen to the soundtrack more than I actually like getting back out to the theater to see it again. But it's, 
It's going to grow on me. I think a lot of it's going to be once it gets released on Blu-ray and we get the behind the scenes looks at how it was made. I think that's when it's going to really click for me. But um, I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I, um, I, I mean, there were times I laughed out loud. There were, uh, you know, I, and and I was grinning, you know, and yeah, you could see how okay, jolly holiday scene, royal Dotton ball scene, you know, um, yeah. you know the the you know Uncle Albert's you know tea you know the the tea party on the ceiling and the topsy turvy whatever no turning turtles scene yeah okay you know it's the same but you know that's sort of what you want in a Mary Poppins film you sort of want the magic to continue. And, you know, and I read that Emily Blunt said that she did not base her performance on Julie Andrews because she knew that was a losing proposition. So she based her Mary Poppins more on the books. And and so and you can definitely see that. Yeah. And and I was fine with it and I I enjoyed it. And, you know, I, I think I enjoyed the soundtrack more after seeing the film. Yeah, it, the, the way you did. Yeah, but you know, yeah. Am, am I going to know these songs by heart as I do all the songs from Mary Poppins? No. Oh uh, no, no. I, I was just you know. trying to play guitar the other day. It songs that I used to know by heart ten years ago, and I'm like, I I can't even do it anymore. So it's we only have so much room to store information yeah. and. I don't think Mary Poppins songs are going to break the bank on, in my head, but um, yeah, definitely not Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah, but yeah. I really enjoy them, and you know, and now there's rumors that they're going to very they're going to do a third film or a second film, depending on how you look at it. I don't know if that's just hype because you know how sometimes they float those balloons out there yeah. in Hollywood Land. I'm, and then nothing comes of them. I'm hoping it is. I as much I thought the two best parts of that movie to me were Emily Blunt and then uh, I can't think of his name right now, but the the actor who played Michael. I thought they were both fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um the mm-hmm. the standouts to me, but I don't after having that jump in time, I don't think I want another story like i don't want it to be oh emily blunt played mary poppins two out of three times so that makes her like even though she wasn't the first that makes her the longest standing like maybe let's put some time in between this one and see maybe there's another actress who comes down the road and can take on the role and you know it that's just where i feel i don't i don't want to see another direct sequel to this one i i want i want some space in between Mm mm-hmm but yeah, I agree. That's but, just me. But yeah, no. But uh, but thoroughly enjoyable. So, folks, if you've been putting it off, uh, you know, see it. But but I think you have to go in thinking this is a different film, you know, different actress, different take on the role. But it can. I think it stands on its own quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Now, January is traditionally a time many of us take stock of the past year and make resolutions for change and improvements in various aspects of our lives and determine what action we will take to achieve those changes and improvements. And we recently rebroadcast my episode from the Diz Unplugged Disneyland Edition podcast with Jeff Barnes, who is an author, university professor, and leadership and success coach. And Jeff is the author of two books 
I found interesting and inspirational and motivational. Um, The Wisdom of Walt, Leadership Lessons from the Happiest Place on Earth, and his more recent book, Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, Life Lessons from the Most Magical Place on Earth. And since Jeff wrote these success strategies for dreamers and doers. It seemed appropriate to welcome him back in January before we've all completely given up on our goals for the new year. So, so Jeff, welcome back to Connecting with Walt. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Craig. And happy 2019, everyone. Happy 2019. Yeah, this is our first show of 2019. So we're delighted that you are on it. So. Well, thank you. I'm I'm thrilled to be um, you know, back with you guys, and um, it's a great way to start the new year with me, and hopefully a great way to start uh, the new year for your show and for your listeners. Yeah, great. Now, Jeff, can you share your story, your personal story, and sort of your uh, your journey that led you to writing your books, The Wisdom of Walt and Beyond the Wisdom of Walt? So, um, I actually grew up in Florida. And my first visit to a Disney park was Magic Kingdom Walt Disney World in August 1974. I was 10 years old, and it it was transformative. I mean, I stepped onto Main Street, and whatever version of heaven that I had in my head at the ripe old age of 10, Main Street USA was it. And I just became this kid that from that day all the way through graduation from high school, if we were going to Disney World, it didn't matter whether it was a family vacation, band trip, uh, you name it. I mean, I was the one looking forward to it. I was counting down the days. <laughs> and then I went to grad school in Northern California, came to Los Angeles and Disneyland for the first time in August of 1988. And I actually hated it. Um, uh, the park was too small. It was too hot. It was too crowded. Um, I walked out of there hating the original Magic Kingdom. But I stayed in California long enough to sort of learn, a little bit unlike Florida, that this park matters to people, particularly at a local level, in in ways that I just didn't think was possible. And um, I'm a history teacher, and so I started doing my research, I started doing my reading, and that's when I discovered that, you know, like all of us, Walt Disney wasn't born successful, Um, He actually had more failures than successes. And at the age of 53, when he wanted to see his dream for a place where parents and children could have fun together, when he wanted to see that dream for Disneyland come true, he had to overcome almost every imaginable obstacle and barrier possible. And so I went from hating Disneyland to actually loving it because I fell in love with Walt and I fell in love with Walt story. Well, fast forward, and in 2013, I'm Dean of Student Success, Professor of Humanities at uh, California Baptist University in Riverside, California. My wife and I, for the first time, are Disneyland annual pass holders, and I started having this crazy thought of, man, what would it, what would it look like if, if I could take Walt's story and the story of the Magic Kingdom and marry it to leadership and success principles. And so that became the impetus for what is the world's only accredited college course on uh, the history of Disneyland. And, you know, every great story requires conflict. 
Well, after I gave the first lecture in my dream class, May of 2014, the very next day I was diagnosed with a brain tumor and they wanted to operate immediately. Uh, They were telling me even if it wasn't cancerous, and fortunately it turned out not to be, but even if it wasn't cancerous, I was going to be out of work six to eight weeks would have meant they instantly canceled the class. And I'm sitting there in the neurologist's office and I'm thinking, the whole point of teaching this class is to talk to students about their dreams, taking risk, overcoming obstacles. And if I bail at the very first obstacle, what example am I setting? And so I refused to have the surgery. I delayed it for two and a half months so I could teach a college course on uh, the history of Disneyland. Uh, We had the surgery successful July 24th, 2014. And after I went back to work, I said to my wife, Nikki, it's great that we taught the class. It's great that I'm healthy again. But if I'm really honest with myself, what I taught in the class has really been a book idea kicking around in my head for about 20, 25 years. And um, we got serious about it because, you know, brain tumors will do that. They, you know, put life (laughs) and, you know, our mortality into perspective. And so uh, we wrote The Wisdom of Walt in fall of 2014, winter, spring of 2015. It uh, released in July of that year, and our lives have never been the same. Uh, we, uh, we, we, we traveled uh, the country, we traveled the world um, talking to people about Walt's wisdom. But I think more importantly, we talk about everybody's love for Disney and how they can use that love to see their own dreams come true. That's what the class is about. It's what the Wisdom of Walt is about. And it's also what the second book, Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, is all about as well. Now, how does Beyond the Wisdom of Walt differ from the Wisdom of Walt? Well, I I like to say that the second book is sort of a little bit like uh, Disneyland versus Walt Disney World. And what I mean by that, well, first of all, Walt said there'll never be uh, another Disneyland. And after writing my first book, um, I, I said, I'm not writing another one because I, I don't want to go through that again. Um, but the book did so well. And I kept hearing from folks on the East Coast saying, we love the wisdom of Walt, but I've never been to Disneyland. Uh, me and my family, we're always going to Walt Disney World. There's got to be something you can do that's based on what's happening here in Orlando. And so I got to thinking about it, and yeah, um, there's, there's a lot of history there, but what is unique about my books is I don't just tell the Disney story. What I really want to do is connect it to you and your story. And so my commitment was I'll be more than happy to write a book based on Walt Disney World, but it's got to share stories and lessons different than what came out of the wisdom of Walt. And Sure enough, we were able to find those. So the Wisdom of Walt is based primarily on Walt and his original Magic Kingdom, Disneyland. And it talks about important life and leadership lessons like, you know, the power of vision, facing fear and failure, um, having courage, being willing to embrace conflict, um, the importance of consistency, uh, seeing your life as a story. All of those lessons were foundational to what we did in uh, the Wisdom of Walt. Beyond the Wisdom of Walt is based primarily on not just Walt, but specifically the leadership who picked up his final dream 
after he passed away in December of 1966. Uh, Walt never walked in Walt Disney World. It was his dream. It was his vision. He saw the property. He purchased the property. They didn't actually break ground until six months after his death. Again, he died, he died December 1966. They broke ground in May of 1967. Um, so Walt's in Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, but not as much as he is in The Wisdom of Walt. But then at the same time, uh, the, the stories and the lessons, so for example, the importance of expanding your expectations, the importance of overcoming obstacles, the importance of finding the time for your dream, the importance of leaving a legacy, those lessons are told through the history and stories that come out of Walt Disney World versus the stories here in California and Disneyland. So, so you're telling me all of those photos they sell at Walt Disney World of Walt standing in front of Cinderella Castle aren't real? <laughs> Jeff. No, there's a little, um, <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's a little Photoshop in play there. Yeah. Now, what I think will intrigue our listeners to this show, because, you know, it, this is a Disney history, you know, show. Your books are a combination of like, it's it's rich in the history of Walt and his parks and the company, but it also serves as as books of introspection and motivation. And it allows us to do self-reflection, goal setting, and the mm-hmm. chapter structure is really unique. And we were talking off air how I like to go to the end of the chapters and read those first, and then I go <laughs> to the beginning of the chapter. So can can you explain to our listeners how you've structured the chapters? So when I sat down to write The Wisdom of Walt back in 2014, um, I, I would love to tell you that, um, you know, I had the artistic and creative genius to know everything that I was going to do and exactly how I was going to do it before I ever wrote the first word. And that's not the way creativity works. It's not the way writing a book works. Um, I was simply committed to writing 333 words a day, no matter what, and just trust that, um, you know, the process would lend itself to, you know, getting me where I wanted to be. And we were probably, in terms of word count, about halfway through uh, the wisdom of Walt before I hit on the chapter structure and the chapter structure is start with a story from the parks, then tell a story about Walt. Um, I inevitably have a personal story or anecdote, maybe two or three. And then every chapter includes a souvenir stop because when you go to one of the parks, you want to bring something home that reminds you of your visit. You want to bring home some sort of memento of that good feeling, that good day, that good experience. Well, in the souvenir stops, I want to give readers an opportunity to interact with the inspiration and the motivation, the stories and the history that have been provided in that particular chapter. And hopefully it gives them some sort of takeaway that they're going to remember the information more and hopefully apply it more. And then at the very end of every chapter, which is really my favorite, I have what I refer to as hand stamp stories. And the idea here is just because you're leaving the chapter, just because you're leaving the park, doesn't mean you can't come back. And so yet this chapter might be done, 
but you're going to keep reading. You're going to keep returning to the book until you're finished. And every hand stamp story, just like the chapters start with a story from the park, every hand stamp story, every chapter ends with a story from the park. Just like at Magic Kingdom, you walk in by way of Main Street USA, you exit out by Main Street USA. Now, one of the challenges with Beyond the Wisdom of Walt is they no longer do hand stamps in Florida. I know this, um, <laughs> but that format worked so well with the Disneyland book. I mean, easily, what you just said about the chapter format, I have heard more positive comments from readers about the formatting than any other factor in either book. And so I was committed to, in Beyond the Wisdom of Wall, even though it's completely different material, completely different stories, completely different lessons, I wanted to follow the same format, just like Magic Kingdom follows the same format of Disneyland here in California. And that, of course, included making sure that the chapters are focused on stories from the park and they have those souvenir stops and they have those hand stamp stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very clever uh, how you've structured these. And it's it makes it very easy to read and very easy to relate to, you know, all the concepts in there. Because it, it is like a little mini, you know, it's like a little mini trip to the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, that's, um, I, that, that just makes me really, really happy. Um, you know, I work in higher education, and my goal in writing the books is I wanted this material to be as accessible as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and, my, and, and the main driver for that is um, 33 million people a year in the United States, 33 million people go to either Disneyland or just the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. And I actually don't see the parks as the place where dreams come true. I see it as the place that can actually show you by way of these stories and by way of this history can actually show you how to make your own dreams come true. And so I don't see Disneyland or Walt Disney World as an escape. I see them as the world's best example. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people have said that. I mean, urban planners have said that. Uh, storytellers have said that. Filmmakers have said that. How for them, yeah, the Disneyland, the Magic Kingdom, it is the best example. You know, even so- sociologists have said that, 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 that these parks are perfect examples. Yeah, I, I've had readers... Um contact me. And I love when that happens, by the way. But I've had numerous readers send me an email and say, I don't know how many times I've been to Disneyland. I I don't know how many times I've been to Disney World. It is my favorite place on the planet. And there's a certain feeling that I get when I'm there that I've never been able to explain, that I've never been able to articulate. And your books are, are the first that have actually put into words what I've been trying to express my entire life. Mm-hmm. I also think there's comfort in that there's a certain order. I mean, people are, for the most part, people are polite and civil mm-hmm. and helpful, and things tend to work, and things tend to be on time. And so it is sort of a microcosm of how we wish the rest of the world operated. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so one of the stories I tell in Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, and this is actually a Walt Disney story from Disneyland, even though the second book primarily focuses on Florida. 
Walt was giving a tour to the evangelist Billy Graham one afternoon. And at one point, Billy stopped and attempted to give Walt a compliment and said, wow, Walt, you have created an amazing fantasy here. This actually offended Walt. And he looked at Billy Graham and he said, no, Billy, this, this is reality. Everything outside the park, everything beyond the berm, that's the fantasy. And I think to some degree, that's the feeling that we all experience when we are at a Disney park and the chaos is gone and we feel as though there is a certain sense of order and it's the way the world could be and it's the way the world we it's the way we all believe the world should be. <laughs> now, what I wanted to do was uh, so there, there are some chapters to that sort of spoke to me. So I wanted to explore just a few to give our listeners an idea of what they can expect um, in reading your book. And mm -hmm. the first one was expanding your expectations. This is the very first chapter in the book. And, you know, many times our fears, assumptions and limiting beliefs, you know, trap us in expanding ourselves to reach our dreams and success. And in this first chapter, you write about how Walt started with a blank page of the Florida Project, and he just let his imagination loose. You know, mm -hmm. he challenged himself to try something new with the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And you explain how we should use Walt as an example to take our limiting beliefs and turn them into empowering beliefs. Yeah, so Walt is a really excellent example of this. Um, his dream for a place where parents and children could have fun together actually started out as an eight-acre amusement park next to the studio in Burbank. He had everything drawn up for what he wanted to call Mickey Mouse Park, took it to the city uh, council in Burbank, and they turned him down. Quote, we don't want a carnival atmosphere in our town. Rather than giving up, Walt instead found 160 acres in an orange grove in Anaheim, California, and turned Mickey Mouse Park into what we all know and love today, and that is Disneyland. Well, after a few years, despite having said there will never be another Disneyland, Walt let go of that limiting belief. He expanded those expectations. He started to get into urban planning and was really wanting to do Epcot by way of his experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And in expanding his expectations, he went from eight acres to 160 acres to 27,440 acres. Walt Disney World is 150 times the size of Disneyland, the original Magic Kingdom. And what is holding most people back is some sort of limiting belief about what you can and cannot do. And so I think we have to ask ourselves the question, when you say to yourself, I can't or I won't, I always, I never, I'm too old, I'm too young, all of those are a limiting belief of some form or fashion. And Joe Rohde, one of the uh, you know, lead Imagineers today, is, is really famous for saying, whatever you think is impossible, is really just you're an opinion, not a fact. And so again, it's part of that whole limiting belief idea. And Walt's an excellent example. Uh, you can go from eight acres to 160 acres to 27,440 acres. But the first thing you've got to do is let it go 
let go of those limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. I know that was something I learned from reading about Walt and talking to people who worked with Walt is that you didn't say no to Walt in in that even if his idea was outlandish what you said was yes we can do that if and Mm -hmm. I thought you know what I'm going to incorporate that into my own life and I did that in my professional life I'm getting better about doing it in my personal life but in my professional life I really saw results you know I said yes we can do that if now sometimes the if it wasn't always something desired but if we did that we could do what they proposed so Mm -hmm. um and it it just it it really does change your attitude or it gets you to start thinking outside the box yeah instead of just honestly saying well no because we've never done that before or whatever it says well yes we can do that but you know but yes if we do all this other stuff or if we change how we do this so I, I think so I think that that was that's why this reminded me of that because mm-hmm. you, you, it's also starting with a blank page again because you're yeah, changing your perceptions. Yeah, a, a real quick story. Um, I, I think when we're born, and I and I talk about this in that chapter, when we're born, we're basically a blank a blank page, mm-hmm. and along the way, particularly in childhood, our story starts to get written. And part of that story is those limiting beliefs that we carry with us for the rest of our life. So, for example, my first trip to Walt Disney World, again, August 1974, what I remember about that trip was going to the transportation and ticket system, getting on the monorail, the highway in the sky. And in 1974, when you're 10 years old and you're on a monorail on the way to the Magic Kingdom, I mean, that is amazing, futuristic space age stuff. It was unbelievably cool. And when that monorail went inside the contemporary resort and stopped, I mean, my jaw dropped. And I looked at it at that hotel, turned to my parents and I said, whoa, what is this? They responded with words I never forgot. They said, Jeff, it doesn't matter what this is pointing to the hotel. It doesn't matter what this is because this is not for us. Well, what they meant by that is we can't afford to stay at the Contemporary Resort. What they meant by that was uh, me and our family of six, we spent the next three nights at the Days Inn in Kissimmee, Florida. But what it also meant was for the next 42 years, I rode that monorail on the way to the Magic Kingdom over and over and over again without having ever stepped off into the contemporary resort. And my wife finally asked me about it one day when I told her, I said, I've never actually been inside this hotel. And she asked me, why not? And I just answered with the response that seemed pretty obvious to me. It's not for us. And she was like, what, what does that mean? And I explained it to her and she's like, that's the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. We can have breakfast here. We can have lunch here. We can have dinner here. I actually think you've sold enough books. We could probably stay here. And so finally, last Thanksgiving, for the first time in four decades, when I got on the monorail and it stopped inside the Contemporary Resort, I got off the monorail and went inside for the first time up the elevator and we had Thanksgiving dinner at the California Grill. And the reason why that was possible is because I let go of the limiting belief. The reason why it was possible is because I believe what Joe Rohde tells us, and that is our limiting belief, what you think is impossible, 
is really an opinion, not a fact. We've got to expand our expectations. Mm-hmm. And you have some good examples in the book that I really like. My desk is always messy. <laughs> okay, I can identify with that, but uh, yeah. maybe not so much at work, but definitely at home. And but but you mentioned okay, but the empowering belief is you know I'm organized in other areas of my life. Mm-hmm. I can organize my desk. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, no, I mean your your beliefs are creating your reality. And if you change your beliefs, and particularly the words, the story around those beliefs, then you can change your reality and ultimately change your life. Yeah, I agree. And isn't you're talking about learning to let it go? That was the next chapter, second chapter in your book. But that was the uh, the chapter that also stuck me about how we get stuck, and mm-hmm. we have to unstick ourselves. I remember this when I was a teacher, and I, you could see people that where somewhere in their development they got stuck and yeah. they've never been able to progress. And and also what I like in this chapter is you address what many f- Disney fans believe, you know, if Walt had lived, everything would be okay and perfect, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. this is a false sentiment. And right. in order to go up and move, to grow up, we have to move forward. We have beliefs and sentiments that we have to let go, and we have to learn to get unstuck from whatever is um, holding us back. Yeah, I, I actually think the, the learning to let it go chapter may have been the most difficult chapter for me to write between the two books. And I say that um, it was difficult for me emotionally because the story I'm really trying to tell there is about Walt's passing after they purchased the land, after they announced that Disney's coming to Central Florida, but then he dies of lung cancer in December of 1966 before they break ground in, in, in May of 1967. And this idea of learning to let it go is, is about learning to let Walt go uh, because he's a part of the Florida story, um, but not as much as I think we wish that he had actually been. Um, to some degree, we have to let go of what he wanted for Epcot because it never came to fruition. And it doesn't mean we can't love Epcot. It doesn't mean Epcot isn't great. Um, but it also means that what Walt envisioned wasn't what got built and wasn't what opened in 1982. And you know, learning to let it go is really about this idea of things are going to happen. Life is going to happen. It's not about what happens. It's about how we respond to what happens. And if you think about the word responsibility, that's exactly what it means. When you are responsible, it means you have the ability not to react, but instead the ability to respond well. And all of us have had things happen in life. And a lot of those things, we need to learn to let go, respond well, and keep moving forward. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's funny what you say about Epcot because I don't know if the listeners have noticed this, but it's only been in the last few months. I've stopped calling it Epcot Center. <laughs> I, I have you're, you're a little on. late to the game there. I, I know. I have accepted now. It is Epcot, but right. being the historian, when it uh, when it, when I'm talking about the days it was Epcot Center, I will call it that. But but that was a big step for me. <laughs> Sure. Well, and and when you go to write a book like this, you sort of have to learn what the nomenclature is. 
And Epcot, all caps, refers to Walt's vision that was never built. What actually opened in October of 1982 is the Epcot Center that you're referencing. And of course, today, they only really refer to it as simply Epcot. Mm -hmm. Okay, I still write it in all caps. So I have not completely (laughs) unstuck... <laughs> you haven't completely yeah. learned to let it go. Maybe if you just played that song a few more. No, let's not go there. Oh gosh, no. So, but um, but no, th- but this it was a good chapter because y- you're right. We can't move forward until um, we, we have to confront the past and yeah. realize, you know, sort of that was then. This is now. You know that old mm-hmm. saying. But there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. yeah. And 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 I think one of my favorite stories um in that chapter if not the entire book is the Tom Navy story about um you know being the first Tom Sawyer on Tom Sawyer Island and how when the island first opened it wasn't an original attraction it doesn't open until summer of 1956 and when they first opened it you actually could go fishing from Tom Sawyer Island in the rivers of America. That didn't last very long, and the primary reason why it didn't last is people didn't really know what to do with the fish after they caught it, but was still spending the rest of their day in Disneyland. And so you would have these random, dead, stinky, smelly fish showing up all over the park, and it it didn't take long for Disney to realize, yeah, this isn't going to work. Well, you don't want to be carrying a dead fish around Disneyland. You don't want to be carrying a dead fish around for the rest of your life either. And when you get stuck and you refuse to let things go, that's exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now a- another chapter I was drawn to was chapter five, and that's finding the time. Because I am always saying there are never enough hours in the day. And in that chapter, you write, stop trying to find the time and start trying to make the time. Can you talk a little about that, what that means, and how do we do that? And then how does it apply to working towards our dreams and goals? Well, I mean, I, I think the number one challenge that people have when it comes to getting started on their goals, getting started on their dreams, is either A, they don't think they have enough money, and that's usually true, and it was certainly true for Walt Disney, and or they don't have enough time. And I write about both of those in Beyond the Wisdom Wall. I talk about financing your future, and I also talk about finding the time. And when it comes to finding the time, well, first of all, it does start with mindset. And so you're not going to, like, magically find more time in your day. We all have a limited number of seconds, minutes, hours, and it's all about what are you going to do do with them. And so rather, you know, than, you know, coming up with this really complicated time management system, it's really going to be about making the commitment that your dreams matter, your goals count, and you are going to be very specific and very intentional about finding the time to make those goals and make those dreams happen. And what I specifically talk about is taking tasks and chunking them down into five to 20 minute increments. Um, Because what happens is, say for example, when it comes to writing a 67,000 word book, I can tell you right now, I do not have time to write a book. It's just not possible. I've got too many um, jobs, too many roles, too many responsibilities, too many things on my checklist. 
If, however, you were to say to me, hey, Jeff, do you think you could find five to 20 minutes today to write, oh, say, 333 words, chances are, yeah, I could find five to 20 minutes to write 333 words. And so you have to learn to make that commitment. You have to learn to chunk the time into small increments, and then you have to make it the habit to repeat it over and over and over again. 333 words becomes 666. 666 becomes 30,000. And before you know it, this monumental task that you had zero time for six months down the road, you've actually completed it. And that is going to be true for almost any goal and almost any dream. Walt Disney, in July 1954, broke ground on the world's first theme park, and he opened it exactly one year later. If Walt can build Disneyland in a year, imagine what you can do. (laughs) That's very true. I have to reread this chapter. So, um, but now, now the minute we start a new chapter in our lives or we embark on a new path or a goal, we're going to encounter obstacles. And in chapter seven, overcoming obstacles, you recount just a, a few of the numerous obstacles Walt encountered in his life, such as his bankruptcies, the loss of Oswald, the lucky rabbit, most of his animation staff, the city of Burbank turned down his proposal for the little Mickey Mouse park you mentioned. But we all know how Walt turned those around so that those obstacles became the starting points for some of his greatest achievements. And you write that everything we face in our lives is either an obstacle or an opportunity, and the choice is up to us. And so mm-hmm. how how can we recognize the opportunities in obstacles and not allow ourselves to become discouraged? Well, I, I, I think, again, it really comes down to mindset. And it starts with um, when you get serious, when you set that goal, when you make that commitment to get to work on that dream, you have to understand that things are going to start happening um, events are going to unfold that are really going to like be barriers and obstacles. And that for me is the first sign that you're on the right path. Because if, if, if this were an easy goal, if this were an easy dream, somebody else would have already done it. I mean, let's be honest, you would have already done it. And so when you start meeting this resistance, that's actually a sign that you set out to do something significant. You set out to do something that matters. And Randy Posh, who was like an honorary Imagineer and um, was author of the last lecture, um, he was in higher education and had pancreatic cancer and died several years ago. And what he says is these barriers, these walls, these obstacles, they are not there. These events do not happen to keep you out They are there to ask you this question. How badly do you want it? And so when you set out for that goal, when you set out for that dream, you've got to make the commitment day one that you want it really, really badly. Because when those obstacles come up, they're going to happen. When those barriers show up, they're going to show up. You have to already have made the commitment to say, all right, 
this is a sign, this is an indication that I'm actually on the right path. And my goal and my dream is going to be better because I'm going to go through this obstacle as opposed to quitting and running in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's important we find what we're passionate about. And because I think if we're passionate about our dreams and goals, we're going to be motivated to overcome the obstacles to achieve it. I I, I tell people all the time, um, I I had been wanting to write a leadership and success book based on my love of Disneyland. I had been wanting to write that book for 20 to 25 years. And over and over again, I would tell myself, I'm not a writer. I don't know how to write a book. Even if I did know how to write a book, I don't know how to get it to the market. Nobody would buy it. Nobody would care. I had every imaginable excuse possible. And then when I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, well, guess what? That actually turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me because on the other side of the brain tumor, what had been delayed and excused and procrastinated on for 20 to 25 years, I actually completed the Wisdom of Walt manuscript in 142 days. And so again, it's about turning that obstacle into an opportunity. It's just a matter of whether you're committed enough to leverage it and allow it to get you to where you're actually supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Now, now, one of Walt's most admirable qualities was his optimism that there would be a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. And, you know, tomorrow's <laughs> just a dream away. But it seems like our society has lost that optimism that the future will be better. Um, for the first time, you know, polls show many of our younger generation don't believe there will be a, a big, beautiful tomorrow. I feel discouraged about their future and even starting families. Um, is there anything you write about in your books that might help us to start to find that hope that would help, especially these youngsters, to begin to follow their dreams towards their great, big, beautiful tomorrows? Yeah, I, I think um, specifically in Beyond the Wisdom World, the last chapter, I talk about leaving a legacy And I think we as an older generation have a responsibility for leaving a legacy with the generation that's coming up behind us. And I I get we we face so many economic and political challenges in 2019, but I also think we face more opportunity than ever before. And I I think, first of all, it starts with um, not putting the generation that's coming up down all the time. I, I, I get that, um, you know, millennials and Gen Xers and whatever the next label might be have um, <clears throat> particular difficulties and particular challenges. But guess what? So did you mm-hmm. and so did I. And I think it's really arrogant, if not hypocritical, to pretend that we had it all figured out at age 20 and the current generation doesn't. No, we had to figure it out as well. We may not have had a label attached to it. We may not have had social media promoting it, but we were probably pretty lost those first 20 years as well. And then secondly, I I think we also have to put things into perspective. And that is in 2019, the world's never been a safer place. Now you may not see that when you watch the news, You may not see that when you're living in the bubble that is social media, but I mean, let's be honest, it's it's not the upheaval of the 1960s, 
And it certainly isn't the manslaughter of 70 million people during World War II. And so, yeah, we've got some challenges and some difficulties to overcome. We've also never lived in a safer world, and we've never lived in a world with more opportunity. And so I think we need to be optimistic about the current generation, and I think we need to be optimistic about the future, because I genuinely believe that great, big, beautiful tomorrow is here and always just around the next corner. I agree. And um, and I think reading your book, books, folks are going to find that. They're going to discover that within themselves. Because I also believe that we can create that great, big, beautiful tomorrow if we create it within ourselves. And we make yeah. that one of our goals. Because it all starts with us. And it, it, it really does. And, and, and what drives me, Craig, um, and, and this is true about the class. It's true about both books. It's true when I'm speaking to audiences somewhere between 500 and 1,000 people at conferences and conventions. Um, I, I say to them, um, I, I, I want you to ask yourself this question. Think about Walt Disney on that park bench, Griffith Park, with his two young daughters on a Saturday afternoon when he has this crazy idea for a place where parents and children could have fun together. What happens if Walt doesn't get up off that bench? What if Walt doesn't believe in himself? What if he doesn't believe in his idea? What if he doesn't believe in his crazy dream? What does our world look like in 2019? What does Anaheim look like? What does Orlando look like? Because in 1955, when Disneyland opened, we needed Walt Disney and we needed his dream. And in 2019, we need you and everyone else's dream. And it starts with believing in yourself and getting up off of your own park bench. Mm -hmm. Now, is that the message that you hope your readers take away from your book? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I believe that um, somewhere along the way, there is going to be an individual who reads one of these books and are hears me at a keynote presentation and they're going to walk away and go change the world just like Walt did. That I agree. I think that'd be wonderful. I think that as I mentioned in our previous show, you know, um, I think the wisdom of Walt it makes a great gift for somebody, you know, who, who is like graduating from either eighth grade or, you know, college or embarking on a new career or some sort of transition in their life. And even, uh, and I think the same with Beyond the Wisdom of Walt. Also, I, as I was, especially reading Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, I was thinking, you know, some of this could really be used for great family conversations, you know, yeah. around the table. And even, mm -hmm. um, you know, s since we last spoke, uh, you know, the the, my my main job where I work, we got bought by a, a multinational corporation. I got promoted. Now I, I manage people all over the place. So I'm, I set up, you know, I lead team building exercises with them. And I thought, yes. I'm getting some really good ideas from this book <laughs> to even lead team building, you know, conversations and things like that. So, uh, so I think this book can, both of the books can apply to very, all kinds of different areas of our lives. 
and you know our own personal life our family life our professional life um you know our anyway so i i really yeah i really encourage our listeners to take a look at these books um during your research and writing Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, Life's Lessons of the Most Magical Place on Earth, did you learn anything new about Walt that affected you, or did you gain any new perspectives that affected your personal philosophy? Yeah, um, Beyond was a little bit different than the first book. I had been reading everything I could get my hands on about Walt Disney, Disneyland, leadership and success for the previous two decades. And so, you know, once I got over all of my excuses and all of my limited beliefs and started writing the book, um, I mean, it really just came out and again, took 142 days. Um, I didn't know nearly as much about Walt Disney World as I did Disneyland. And so um, beyond only took a year and a half to write. And so while The Wizard of Walt took 20 to 25 years, but only 142 days, we didn't put off writing beyond the wisdom of Walt, um, but we would write and then we'd have to stop do reading and research. And then we would start and write again, you know, rinse, repeat. Um, I, I think the story that probably blew me away more than any other in beyond the wisdom of Walt is actually the hand stamp story in the first chapter, expanding your expectations. Um, folks here in Southern California are very familiar with that iconic Disneyland hotel. Mm -hmm. um, the Disneyland Hotel did not open when the park opened. Uh, the park opened July 17th, 1955. The Disneyland Hotel actually didn't open until October of that year. And when it opened, it wasn't owned by Walt. It wasn't owned by the Disney company. Um, during the construction of Disneyland, they were getting 800 calls a day from people asking about overnight accommodations. Well, in 1955, Anaheim was home to 14,000 people, that's it, and 60 hotel rooms. And Walt knew that wasn't going to be nearly enough if he's getting 800 calls a day. <laughs> and so he called Hilton and asked them to build a hotel. They said no. He called Sheridan, asked them to build a hotel. They said no. He called Marriott. They asked him to build a, he asked them to build a hotel. They said no, because like everyone else, they thought this crazy dream was going to be bankrupt, shuttered, and forgotten in six months or less. And so he got on a knee and with a tear in his eye, begged his friend, Jack Rather, to build the Disneyland Hotel. And Rather agreed with the understanding that he'd have a 99-year lease and the use of the Disney name, which Walt never did. I mean, he was very, very protective of his name and his brand. But he was willing to do it to get that hotel open because he desperately needed it. Well, fast forward to 2019 at Walt Disney World in Florida with all of those different hotels and all of those different resorts. If you wanted to spend a different night at a different hotel, different Disney hotel in Orlando, it would take you 70 years before you ran out of different rooms. 70 years, which is pretty crazy when you think nobody wanted to build the first hotel. That is. Craig, you're, you need to get started. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anytime. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, so, Jeff, are there any projects you're working on now that you can share with our listeners? Well, our newest pro uh, project, and I, I get asked about this all the time, are you going to write a third book? And I'm not, you don't ever say never. Um, I, I think the most obvious um, third book would be The Worldwide Wisdom of Walt. 
and that would be based on stories and histories and lessons that would come from the international parks. I'm not ready yet to tackle that project. And so starting last July, we started a Wisdom of Walt blog, and this comes out uh, twice a month. It's completely free content with brand new material. It allows me to continue to be creative. It allows me to continue to write. It allows me to come up with new stories, new content, new inspiration, new motivation, and allows me to stay connected with readers. But it also allows anyone to sign up for the blog and you can get this inspirational, motivational content twice a month, 100% free. And we love doing it. I'm excited about it. And if your listeners could do us one favor, it would be go to the wisdomofwalt.com and sign up for the free blog. And you're going to get inspiration and motivation every other Wednesday throughout the entire year. Mm-hmm. And I, I signed up for it and it's really good. I have to commend you. It's entertaining. Well, it's entertaining and it's really inspirational. And sometimes it's very moving. And um, I I always look forward to it. You had some good holiday ones. Um, <laughs> well, thank recently. you. So uh, anyway, and, and so we, we've got a little bit of a schedule already lined out for 2019, and I'm I'm excited about what's coming. Uh, you've got the 50th anniversary of uh, the Apollo 11 moon landing. Walt had a tremendous influence on those events, and so I'm looking forward to writing about that. Uh, you've got the 50th anniversary of Haunted Mansion opening at Disneyland in in august and so those are the kinds of stories that we want to continue to write that might not necessarily find themselves in a book and what i love about the blog is i can do a story and then move on to something completely different whereas in a book it all has to sort of fit together from beginning to middle to end mm-hmm. so well we'll look well, definitely, uh, if you ha- sign up for Jeff's um, blog. And Jeff, for our listeners, um, where can they get your books, Wisdom of Vault and Beyond the Wisdom of Vault? Well, you can find them on Amazon, um, Wisdom of Vault, Beyond the Wisdom of Vault. They're available um, hardcover, softcover, uh, Kindle ebook, Audible audiobook. And if you want personally signed hardcover copies, you can go to my website, thewisdomofwalt.com, and there's a link there to the books, and I will personally sign them and ship those books to you, and um, you know, just be happy to to send those to you and and uh, you know, connect with more readers. Great, excellent. And then, can readers also connect with you on social media? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Jeff Barnes. Um, I probably have more ice cream pictures on Facebook than any other person <laughs> on the planet, um, which is not doing well for my diet or waistline, but I, I, I do like my ice cream. And then you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. Disneyland. Oh, okay, great. And um, we will have links to all of that in our show notes. And okay, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? <laughs> um, boy, that's... Uh, I don't have a favorite flavor. Um, right now, my favorite brand, it just opened up at Downtown Disney. It's a company originally out of Portland, Oregon, called Salt and Straw. Mm-hmm. They do uh, really unique flavors and um, very, very, very high quality. 
So if, if, if I'm at Disneyland and I'm there a lot and I'm walking through down, it's really hard to get me to pass up an opportunity to go to Salt and Straw. Oh, okay, I'm going to have to check them out. My my favorite ice cream is anything in a hot fudge sundae. <laughs> and fair enough. <laughs> so, anyway, well, Jeff, we've really enjoyed having you on the show. Um, you know, I, I encourage our listeners to read Jeff's books, The Wisdom of Vault and Beyond the Wisdom of Vault, because I think not only will you find them entertaining with all of the Disney history in there i think you'll you'll find them uh, inspirational and uh and you know i i, I you know I, ju- I just think you you'll find them you know just really an interesting read and will give you um you know some pause to to think you know about yourself as well as enjoying some great stories about walt and his parks so so jeff thank you very much for well- joining us well, thank you, Craig, and, and, and thank you, Michael. And we're actually headed to Walt Disney World tomorrow. Um, we're going to be there throughout the weekend doing a big fundraising event uh, with Lee Cockrell, Dan Cockrell, and Give Kids the World. So uh, appreciate you guys having me uh, on before we make that uh, journey to the East Coast. And um, hopefully we could hook up with readers, hook up with listeners. If not at Walt Disney World, then out here at Disneyland, um, you know, we love hearing from folks and we appreciate everything that you guys are doing to help promote Walt, um, his history, his legacy, and of course, his wisdom. Oh, thank you. Well, tell the folks that give kids the world, all of us at the Diz say hello, because that is the Diz's official charity, Give Kids the Excellent. World. I, I will be sure to and, do that Thursday night. Okay, well, have a magical time and we look forward to having you back on the show. All right. Never stop dreaming, guys. Thank you. Well, it is time for our very first trivia contest of the year. And our our, this this um week in Disney history for the week of January twentieth, where we really didn't have any time to line up any contestants, so we're going with our alternate uh, our alternate um, version here, yeah. format, which is where I'm just throwing questions at, at Craig, shining the light in his eyes here. I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't even think about us setting up a competitor until about like 30 minutes ago when we were interviewing <laughs> Jeff, and then it's like, ooh, we have not been... We haven't. We didn't discuss a plan for that, so it will come back though. Yeah, Do not I, worry. I didn't. Ex- I didn't really expect it for the first show. Yeah. So we'll get especially it. because I knew your schedule. Yeah. <laughs> the oh. Break. So. Tell me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. Let's take a look at January twentieth. On January twentieth, two thousand and five, Expedition Everest's peak is lowered into place at Disney's Animal Kingdom. How many stories tall does this make the attraction? Hmm. Um. That's a. I actually do not know the exact answer to it. I'm just. I'm. I know so, typically so you want me to give you a range. Well, I I know <laughs> the airline height is no more than it's no more than two hundred feet. So I I would say maybe around 
it doesn't feel as big as some of the other, but it's such a big expanse. I'd say maybe around like 180 feet high, give or take. Okay, and that would, and about how many stories would you say that translates into? Oh. Isn't it if a story's 10 feet, like 18? You're really close. It's 20 stories. Okay. I, I genuinely, how so much is a story? Good. Is it 10 feet? I. That would make sense to me. <laughs> I, I have no idea. <laughs> Whatever you yeah. say. I don't either. Okay. January 21st. Okay. That's a, that was good. You're very close. Yeah. You're well within the range. For government, you know, you're yeah. well within the range. There we go. Um, anyway, for January 21st, what $10 million expansion to Disneyland was formally announced on January 21st, 1955? Hmm. Okay, so Disneyland. Oh, um, hmm. I think I'm I'm gonna just go with a guess on it because uh, mm -hmm. peeking behind the scenes, we're recording this after we're recording <laughs> this after we just talked to Jeff, and there was one thing that we he did mention towards there that I always forget about. Could this have been the Disneyland Hotel? It certainly could have been. There I was chuckling to myself <laughs> when he brought that yeah. up. Right. The Disneyland Hotel is disclosed to the press, press nationwide. And, of course, it'll be developed by the Rather um, Alvarez Hotels, or rather Alvarez Hotels. And um, it's hoped the hotel will be ready for an August 15th opening, but due to labor strikes, it will open October 5th, 1955 instead. So, anyway, and that was only a few rooms. It, it opened yeah. much later, actually. Oh. So, Thanks, Jeff, for keeping it anyway. fresh in my memory. Yes, yes. <laughs> we, we give him a point as well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all righty, January 22nd, the Walt Disney Company relaunches its lucrative Winnie the Pooh franchise with a new television series on January 22nd, 2001. What is the name of the series? Oh, um, yeah, this was after my time. I grew up with the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Mm -hmm. And that was my series. Um, but I know I saw it, and the name is like right there on the tip of my tongue. But I, I, I can't pull it out. Mm -hmm. I, I can't. It's the Book of Pooh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and the Pooh and friends come to life using a mix of ancient Japanese puppeteering techniques as well as state-of-the-art computer technology. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it, it was right there. Just could not yeah. pull it out. I wonder if this will be one of those uh, classic TV series they'll put on um, Disney+. Plus. I wouldn't mind because I didn't get to watch it and yeah. I doubt it's seen any airtime in ever. <laughs> Sit it, sit yeah, it and it'd be interesting to see this mix of ancient Japanese puppeteering techniques and what yeah. was state-of-the-art computer technology in 2001. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, on, okay, January 23rd. On January 23rd, 2006, the Walt Disney Company headquarters building is renamed. What is the new name? Oh, um, Team Disney. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, Team Disney, the Michael D. Eisner Building. Oh, I did not know that. We tend to, we tend to forget that now. I, but he was yeah. the chief executive officer of the company for 21 years. I, I knew Team Disney. I don't think I ever knew that it was Team Disney dash the Michael D. Eisner Building. At least they, yeah, they omit that part when you take the uh, Adventures <laughs> by Disney uh, backstage magic yeah. vacation. <laughs> That they might have sponged yeah. that name clean. <laughs> anyway, okay, on January 24th, what area of Disneyland was open to guests on January 24th, 1993? Hmm. I'm going to take a guess on it just because it's the only thing that makes sense to me, and that would be, that would be Toontown. You're absolutely yeah. right. Mickey's Toontown, where guests can meet Mickey, Minnie, and other Disney characters and visit their homes. I was going to say, if it wasn't that, then it must have been something else that has come and gone since my first trip there. And I would be a terrible uh, historian of sorts if I don't even remember a <laughs> land that came and gone in the 90s. Yeah, and the opening festivities for Toontown will continue over the next three days as various um, attractions and things are opened. So, Okay, January 25th, which Disney legend performed with a 60-piece orchestra at Disneyland's Hyperion Theater for Yamaha's 125th anniversary dealer concert on January 25th, 2013? And, str- and this was streamed live over the internet. Hmm. Which Disney legend? And I chose this specifically for you. I don't. I. I mean, obviously, I don't remember watching it, but I think I remember this slightly. Um. I. I, I want to say it was. It was Elton John, wasn't it? It was. And after your experience recently, um, he's playing in Sacramento coming up, by the way, if you want to fly out here. I, um, but, uh, yeah, it was this, It was Elton John. Yeah, yeah. I, I get my second chance on March 18th. I am happy to report that just earlier this week I got to see Billy Joel for the first time. So, you know, same, same style. So I'm knocking... Yeah. Uh, I knocked a new legend off. I've seen Elton John once before, but gotta see him on his farewell tour. K- Carol and I saw both Billy Joel and Elton John perform together. It was amazing. Yeah, really cool. So, but but anyway, so yeah, so Elton John with more than a dozen music performers take part in a special private concert celebrating the 125th anniversary of Yamaha, the official music instrument provider of the Disneyland Resort. And the sponsor of Disney's popular All-American College Band, Disney's Performing Arts, and the Community Arts Showcase. Now, this is what fascinates me. Sir Elton plays five of his classic songs on a Yamaha Disclaver, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, reproducing piano on stage at the Hyperion, accompanied by the orchestra. His actual piano strokes were faithfully played note for note in real time via MIDI data on each of the remote Disclavier pianos all over the world, just as if he were there while the entire orchestra is seen and heard on adjacent monitors in perfect sync with the remote piano performance. 
I, I that I just find that so intriguing. That is. <laughs> I understand why you find it intriguing. It's because it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway. So okay, January twenty sixth. The first episode of a new television series created by Ward Kimball, one of Walt's nine old men, airs on television. What is the name of the series? Um, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I don't the know. The Mouse Factory. I've never heard of that. I, I love this series. And um, anyway, yeah, this this aired. I think I, oh, I didn't put the year, but this aired. Um, I, I think I was in college by this time. Uh, this was great because it was it was Ward Kimball at his zaniest, and you never quite saw a Disney television series like this, which is probably why it didn't last. Um, but it ho- it was hosted by a different celebrity guest each week. Um, the Mouse Factory features clips from various Disney cartoons and movies. The first episode is titled Vacations, and it's hosted by Charles Nelson Riley, uh, who of discusses course. disastrous vacations with Donald Duck. Um, and um, Oh, I need to find and- that. Oh yeah, I love the opening sequence because part of it shows the all the the Disney characters checking in for work using a an old punch clock time card yeah. you know, thing, and you see Snow White checking in and like Goofy and Clarabelle the cow and all that. It, I just found that such a hoot. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> very know. rare that there's something like that that I've genuinely never heard of, and this is one of them. Yeah. I just. And no recollection of it. Yeah, I would love to see this back on the air again. Someone send an email to Bob Iger, Disney Plus. Yeah, really tell him to um, tell him to to put this back on <laughs> on on Disney Plus. Craig, you did pretty well this week. Yeah, not too bad. So uh, you know, a little rusty, but it's start of the year. I gotta I gotta get my brain working again. <laughs> So, so you know, after we talked with Jeff Barnes, you know, about setting goals, overcoming obstacles, and uh, in order to reach our dreams and all that. So, so Greg, have you set any goals or, or made any resolutions for 2019? Um, my main one is sanity. And it's, <laughs> it's going to be a very hectic year. Uh, just, uh-huh. it, it's already started out pretty crazy and you know getting told that i'm going to be spending more time out in california than i did last year and and years prior that's you know it is i feel genuinely lucky to hear that as far as work goes because i love i love disneyland i love california but it's 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 a lot going out and on top of that uh there's the potential that i might be traveling internationally at least twice this year which is always, always a lot on top of the D23 Expo in August mm-hmm. of this year. And, you know, the little thing called Star Wars Galaxy's Edge that definitely will be opening up in California in 2019. Who knows about Orlando? Um, but we'll see. There's so many new experiences happening let alone just at, at Walt Disney World throughout that time period, too. Over at Universal, there's going to be a new hotel 
all of our normal coverage, the new Harry Potter roller coaster that's going to be debuting. Just like I, I am stressed out just looking at everything. Have they that's given that? Have they given that coaster a name yet? Not yet. No, no. Well, of course, they'll do it this They're week, not right like before Disney. we release this episode. Um, yes, probably. Yeah. No, they they've been they've been holding back. It's it's. I hear it's going to debut sooner than sooner than later, but still uh, still a lot of vague details on it, which I actually like for once. It's it, as much as we like taking that peek behind the curtain, and with Universal, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of people covering as the construction has been happening using helicopters just taking photos from the ground at the right angles and stuff so we get a general idea of what's happening with it but there's still that mystery because universal hasn't said anything and that's actually kind of nice because uh, we're just we're not used to that we're used to wanting spoilers and and getting them at some point so i do like that but uh, yeah it's just uh, it's going to be hectic and then on the movie side there's a chance that I'll be attending Star Wars Celebration in Chicago this year. Uh, like it's just it's never ending. I'm, I'm tired already, wow. and we're only uh, as of recording this, we're we're only just right over the two week point of being in January of 2019, and and I'm exhausted now. So my goal, my resolution, is to just stay sane and enjoy every second of it. Be be grateful for what I have. And all the people around me. <laughs> yeah, that one. You, you do have a busy year. Yeah. So, well, I'm glad I will be a part of it. Yeah. Well, yes. Hopefully. Some of it. Hopefully, quite a bit. So, beyond this show, that is. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, yeah, yeah, again, yes, being grateful for what I've got and all, all the blessings, and because you know it could always be worse. Mm-hmm. And um, but for me, this is a year of getting organized. Just and I've already started that organizing my libraries, organizing stuff, getting rid of tchotchke kind of stuff and things like that. Um, you're doing a bit of traveling as well. The D23 Expo. I really want to go to the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet this year, mm-hmm. which is in July. So I'm I, I'm set a goal to do that because I hear good things about it. And uh, oh, I'm doing Mouse Adventure at the museum again this year with Mary Jo, yeah, you know, my colleague from the Disneyland show. So that should be fun. And Mary Jo and I have set a goal of doing a, a 5K, a Disney 5K. Oh, awesome! At some point, yeah. So we're going to start out because I I have a goal. I've always wanted to do a 10K. So so Mary Jo and I talked about it, and we're we're going to start out doing a 5K. That's that. so that's the right place to start. We might do one of the vert. Yeah, we, we might start doing. We might do a virtual one first, and and so that we can time ourselves, and then and then get ready for you know the an, a, a one in the park, and um, yeah, and and I also will be traveling internationally, so hopefully if all goes as planned and stuff. Yeah. So, but really getting organized. So um, this is a big thing. So. So, so, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me throughout the week on the Walt Disney World Edition podcast, the Universal Edition podcast, the best and worst of Walt Disney World, connecting with Walt, no longer the Diz Daily Fix. So uh, that's out of my, my routine. I will never mention it again after this week. And then always <laughs> on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. Michael, what about you? 
Well, you can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. That is a preferred way to go when you send them to me. Anywhere else, I tend to lose track of them. On Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. The one, if you want Disney content, do the one with the connecting with Walt Banner. Um, Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz, and you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at the official Connecting with Walt Twitter page at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplugged.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. And speaking of which, you might remember last time we talked about the contest that Disney Inspires was running, you know, vote for your favorite um, Disney podcast. Yeah, and yeah. all of, yeah, all of the Diz Diz podcasts or shows were uh, were nominated and well, you know, I I want to Craig, we got to thank our connecting with Walt listeners cuz they sure came through for us. Um, first of all for le- the legacy but there were two categories and I don't quite understand what they mean the um the there were the legacy podcasts and the qualified podcasts in the legacy podcast the Diz unplugged walt disney world show came in second out of nine so pretty pretty yeah. cool and they were there with some big podcasts for qualified podcasts there were 52 of them connecting with walt came in ninth okay so um that's I thought that's pretty good. I'm proud of that. <laughs> so I'm very I proud of am. that. I am. So, yeah, I am. So thank you so much for everybody that listened to the show, and uh, and also you know shared uh, comments on ratings on iTunes, and also went to Disney Inspires Facebook page, and um, voted for us. We really um, we really appreciate it. Uh, I, folks over the holidays asked me about Carol and sent their well wishes. Just a quick update. She there is she continues to be in the um, nursing facility. She uh, There is no estimated time that she will return home. I thought it would be for Christmas and decorated the house, but unfortunately um, she was not, so we celebrated Christmas there. Um, uh you know, we had a couple of setbacks in cancer getting a bit more aggressive, but she's doing a more aggressive chemo regimen, and we are very, very hopeful that that will, um, you know, we won't know for a couple more months how successful that is, but we're very hopeful because she's always responded well to chemo treatment. Mm-hmm. She's still in great spirits. Those of you who follow her on Facebook know she continues her puzzle-making um, yeah, you know, abilities and all that. So she loves jigsaw puzzles. So thank you for everybody that has been keeping um, us in their prayers and sending pixie dust and who have been sending, you know, really positive messages and all that. So, so, um, so thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man, Walt Disney. And his brother Roy. 